I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? What's to turn me into something else? Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. If your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 232, The Fly. It might be because I just finished the uh, Jurassic Park novel that you let me borrow after we recorded (laughs) the Jurassic Park episode. And Jeff Goldblum being in this, but I did find myself thinking, what would uh, Ian Malcolm think of all this? I don't think he'd really be a fan. (laughs) Of what's being toyed with here. Two different approaches to science, Yeah, I guess. <laughs> anyway, wow. Big reception for the There Will Be Blood episode. Hopefully this one's a little shorter. It was a exciting comeback from One Trashy Summer. <laughs> a comeback, because yeah. we were down low after that. <laughs> we weren't feeling very high. I do expect this one to have far less clips, that's for sure. But here we are, venturing into our first... Cronenberg film on the podcast about time get into That's some right. weird wow fucked up shit yeah absolutely boy his movies certainly are a certain degree of disturbing every single one of them we of course are talking about the 1986 version of the fly not the original 
I sort of always compare this with John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay, yeah. An 80s remake that completely overshadowed the original <clears throat> and is better, in yeah. my opinion, in both instances. I actually, there's still a lot of Cronenberg movies that I have to see for the first time, but this one I actually had seen at a relatively early age, and I gotta tell you, pretty disturbing. The whole dream sequence that we'll get to at one point, I, I think it's probably the most famous scene in the movie, but no, maybe not. Maybe, I don't know. Okay. I, I Poof. That really shook me <laughs> the first time I saw this. Okay, so before we talk about The Fly, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or wherever. If you get a chance, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read those. It really lifts the spirits and keeps us going. That's right. And if you'd like a sticker, you can let us know on Twitter, and we'll send you that for free, just out of the goodness of Matt's heart. Absolutely. And finally, you can follow us on Letterboxd. Me, at Zach1983. Matt, at Matt Crosby. Yeah. You know, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and they're always pulling bullshit where it's like, we'll give you a sticker or whatever it is if you get on and give us a five-star review. We're not pulling any of that. No, nothing even asked in return other than your address. That's I right. Guess. Yeah, which is maybe for some people maybe a hurdle. <laughs> they don't want us to have that. Understandably so. <laughs> yeah, we just bombard them with like junk mail and solicitation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so The Fly, 1986, directed by David Cronenberg, screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and Cronenberg. The version they went with was mostly Cronenberg's revision. Based on a short story of the same name by George Langlan, remake of the 1958 film directed by Kurt Newman, which starred Vincent Price, amongst others. I did watch the original trilogy. Oh, wow. Which started in 58 and went into the 60s. The first one is actually pretty good. There are some key differences in the idea and what is emphasized more. I think Cronenberg really put his fingerprint on this version and emphasized the things that he likes to emphasize in his body horror <laughs> That's genre. What I was say. Body horror? Because in the original it's much more of man gets turned into like a fly. Okay. Literally. Wow. Whereas this is much more of a focus on the metamorphosis and the idea of like a hybrid disturbing transformation which i was like thinking to myself did i get stuck in a telepod with a fly at one point (laughs) looking at this i feel like i've gone through a similar transformation in appearance be afraid be very afraid yes i think the fly is the perfect blend of pop mainstream with cronenberg's body horror vision it's unflinching downbeat And yet it did open to massive acclaim. Audiences and critics were enthralled with this film. It won an Oscar, I think, right, for uh, makeup and effects. Yeah, the makeup effects were created by Chris Wallace along with makeup artist Stephen Dupuis. Their work earned an Academy Award, the only Oscar ever won by a film directed by Cronenberg. Wow. Wallace actually then directed the 1989 sequel starring Eric Stoltz, which we'll talk a little bit at the end 
about. One of the big things with the fly that some people maybe don't realize, although I think it's becoming more common knowledge these days, is that a big reason the film was able to get made and a, a big force behind the scenes was Mel Brooks. Whoa. The film was a part of Brooks Films, one of the first names you see, but he kept his name off of it as a producer because he didn't want people to be confused and think it was a comedy. But Brooks also had a huge part to play in David Lynch's The Elephant Man. And this is Mel Brooks of Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein fame. Maybe he has (laughs) an interest in body horror as well, but he was already kind of typecast into this whole comedy world. The first choice to direct was Cronenberg, but he was at the time busy with Total Recall, which he eventually did not make at that point and ended up being the 1990 movie directed by Paul Verhoeven. So once Cronenberg becomes available, there's an eventual circle back. He agrees to do it if he could revise the script, which he did. And as I pointed out, there's much more of an emphasis on the metamorphosis itself and the end result of what happens is this grotesque hybrid rather than a full-blown housefly, which is sort of what happens in the original. There is some cringy stuff in it that really wouldn't play today. Mm-hmm. There's a part where a fly is stuck in a spider's web, and there's a tiny voice literally yelling, help me, help me. Oh, no. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> but as I said, I, I don't think that the first one is a bad movie by any sense. I, I do think the two sequels are kind of now that not li- great. That be afraid, be very afraid. Is that a line from the original? No. Oh, no. it's not. Okay. We'll get to that later. But that's sort of a big part of this movie in a way. Part of the lasting... Absolutely. It seemed like an older phrase. That's, it almost seems like when she says it, I'm like, that must be a nod to the original, which I've never seen. But I, not no. the case, I guess. Okay. For me, the idea of body horror as a subgenre is always the hardest to deal with. And I think this movie captures it pretty well because there's the slow descent into this transformation into a monster Uh, where one thing at a time is happening. And it's all different things that you sometimes would have a nightmare about, like your teeth falling out. It's like 90% of my dreams are body (laughs) horror. (laughs) I'm experiencing some body horror just looking at your body. Absolutely. Right now. <laughs> yeah, 90% of my dreams and 100% of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly, I find the character of Seth Brundle sort of relatable once he starts transforming. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's the part where she comes to his apartment or whatever, and there's just like junk food laying all over the place. And it's like going over to Zach's. <laughs> In 1986, we were still very much at the height of societal panic over AIDS. The epidemic was still pretty new and fresh in everybody's mind. There was a lot of uncertainty about it. Obviously, over the next 35 years, we learned a lot more and things changed. But it was still a very new and upsetting concept for a lot of people, and so... People were seeing that in a lot of stories, whether it was intentional or not. David Cronenberg was surprised when The Fly was seen by some as a cultural metaphor for AIDS, since he originally intended the film to be a more general analogy for disease itself, terminal conditions like cancer, and more specifically the aging process. 
So he was thinking of it as a more universal thing, but was fine with what people were taking from it. Yeah. Basically saying like, well, if you know someone that has AIDS or you have it yourself, you're obviously going to see that in the story more, but it could also apply to any number of different diseases or just getting older or different things like that. Yes. I've said it before in other episodes, but that idea of contracting something and it being irreversible, nothing haunts me more. The movie does a good job of capturing both the speed with which the process takes over Seth Brundle's life, but also slowing it down enough for the audience to live in the moment of the, mm-hmm. the horror throughout it yeah it's like a step-by-step process every time the action of the film focuses on seth he looks worse than the last time we saw him the makeup is sort of escalating every time and he just yeah. gets more and right. more disgusting but yeah the stuff falling off of his body and like all of that stuff is just it's really hard to take <laughs> yeah <laughs> <It's> just grotesque <laughs> I definitely love the score by Howard Shore. Oh, yeah. Dramatic. Harkens back to a different era of cinema. Grim. It's just very grandiose feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, da-dum, da-dum. Yeah, it kind of kicks in right in the opening credits. It's kind of like this like loud yes. like, entrance. So let's get into it. There's a lot to say, but... I guess we can sort of approach it like the movie itself because this movie doesn't waste any time. It's a big idea trimmed to the bare essentials. Oh, yeah. I mean, the pace of this movie is amazing. I yeah. just like They don't waste any time. I love how you start right in a conversation with these two characters. Yes. Because when you take an idea like this and you want to present such a high concept to the audience, I think the modern version is easily going to be two hours and 15 minutes or more sure but this version a lot is of, only a little over 90 probably like a lot of seth brundle like backstory yeah you don't really get much you're just thrust into this the meeting between seth and ronnie and then you just go from there and it's edited very to the bone like oh, yeah. you're just you're cutting over things that seem superfluous to the plot it, they're just gone which i do think appeals to a lot of people now because there does seem to be a push for very plot-centric stories. I don't necessarily agree with that. I do think that sort of the fun of film can be to explore the visual and the extra stuff and the hangout time and the sex scenes and all of these things that people seem to want out of movies now just to keep it to a plot synopsis. <laughs> But I don't mind it in a movie like this because the visuals speak for themselves. The the main character of the film turns out to be the makeup effects. And that's what you're paying your money for. That's why you're driving to the theater. You want to see that. To be disturbed. Yeah. I think you know what you're in for. And this movie doesn't waste any time. And I'm fine with that for this particular story. So we have brilliant but eccentric scientist Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum. He meets... Science journalist Veronica Ronnie Quaife at a Meet the Press event held by Bartok Science Industries, the company funding Brundle's work. What a life this is. A Meet the Press event for, like, scientists? Yeah. What a bore. (laughs) 
I just was thinking science journalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there probably are still science magazines and publications well, that's a, yeah. now, but I'm sure those people also have to do other stuff. Right. Yeah. That was, we lived in the world where like special interest magazines were, could actually be like a successful <laughs> business venture. The role of Seth Brundle apparently was offered to Michael Keaton at one point. Oh man, no way. This is Goldblum all the way. Yeah, I definitely think that Goldblum's persona and line delivery adds a lot. But there was some concern. He wasn't really like a bankable star or anything. People knew who he was. He had been in movies and stuff, obviously. But The big chill. Yeah. I mean, he had been in a few movies, but... I think they were looking for somebody that could open a a movie. And ultimately, when you have something like this, and this is a lesson we've learned time and time again with Marvel and other spectacle-style movies, is that you don't really need huge stars because the attraction is something else. Sure. Seth is really running his mouth here, (laughs) which contradicts his whole attitude later of no one can know about this. But essentially, it just boils down to him looking to score, I think. Yeah. With Ronnie, he's interested in her sexually is the vibe I get from this because why is he telling her all this stuff only to then be like, well, you can't say anything about it because right, he seems yeah. so open about it at the beginning. Well, then he has like a panic moment like th- this was a big mistake. He's I, saying things He doesn't like, get out much. He's saying things like he's going to change the world and human life as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> Just really putting it out there. <laughs> things that I've said at oh, a bar. Yeah. To myself, <laughs> as they're asking me to leave, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna change the world. Security. We have Gina Davis as Ronnie. Goldblum pushed for Davis to get the part as the two were dating at the time. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Cronenberg was sort of hesitant to work with a couple, but ultimately went for it. I think it's the right move, although they do both essentially have the same hair in this movie. I did, which I find that. distracting. Yes. <laughs> I never really was a huge fan of Gina Davis. I didn't dislike her either. I just hadn't really, I don't know. She just, I hadn't seen a lot of things that she was in, I guess. I don't know. Didn't have a huge relationship with her before this year, but I've watched a lot of movies with her in it this year. Coming around on her? Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely a fan. I think I only really maybe knew her from like A League of Their Own or what something. About, uh Beetlejuice? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I did rewatch Beetlejuice this year in addition to seeing okay. uh, Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise and The Long Kiss Goodbye. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Seth manages to convince Ronnie to come back with him to his warehouse home and laboratory <laughs> so he can show her his invention. Now, these are the types of places that just seem to exist in the 80s. You can't even question it. Like this uh, as an apartment? Yeah. As I just a place live where in this lives. giant warehouse. Yeah, right. People having huge lofts mm-hmm. in major cities where it doesn't seem like they have any money. Right. This just was so part of the 80s. We all yeah. just accepted okay. it just the way it was. Yeah, Plus, yeah. I don't think these places were expensive back then. People didn't always realize that they could exploit everything. They were like, who would want to live in a place like this? Yeah. Now it's like, okay, you, you have to be any, like, like a billionaire to have places like this. Any like empty industrial building is just like a gold mine. Like most of Cronenberg's films, The Fly was shot in Canada, Toronto to be specific, and on the commentary, Cronenberg confirms the film is actually set in Toronto in his mind, but it always feels like New York City to me, even though for it, does it doesn't look like it. Right. 
I don't know. It just feels like it for some reason, but it doesn't actually ever look like New York. Yeah, or no, it doesn't. And there's no indication that it is, but I don't know. I guess that's just how I my that mind 80s works. 80s loft feel kind of. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of like After Hours or something like that. These just mm-hmm. big lofts. I don't know. It seems like he has to climb like a crazy amount of steps too, even though from the outside the building doesn't seem that tall. That's true. There's some inconsistencies with the steps. <laughs> it's not a big factor in the movie but there is that one scene where that chick just like can't get up the steps and it seems like how many steps they have to go up yeah yeah (laughs) so he wants to show her this invention back at his laboratory and it turns out to be a set of telepods yeah now he is kind of like i I feel like underselling this because i know that he's hung up over this whole it can only teleport inanimate objects i would be like that's enough That's pretty amazing. Well, I don't know if he's underselling it. He did say it was going to change the world and human life as we know it. All right, yeah, fair. But yeah, he's downplaying it because he still thinks that it needs to be refined, which is ultimately why he doesn't want Ronnie to report on it yet because it's not finished. But yes, the telepods allow for instantaneous teleportation between the two pods. This is essentially seen as the future of travel. In other words, you could have telepods all over the world and you could go somewhere in the blink of an eye that would be great that's the long-term future of this idea much better than flying and to prove it to ronnie he asks for a specific item of clothing or jewelry she gives him a stocking yeah and i have to say kind of a sexy moment yeah ronnie is definitely (laughs) flirtatious too yeah it's not just a one-way street well she did come back to his loft When Seth realizes that Ronnie is recording their conversation and is planning to publish it in Particle magazine, he panics, not wanting the story out yet. But she leaves, intending to do just that. She's like, well, no, I'm a journalist. This is what I came here for. But it turns out that Ronnie's editor, Staphis Borens... (laughs) You've been duped, you idiot. Played by John Getz. Yeah who I mostly know from Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers movie, but I guess appeared in a couple Fincher projects that we were looking into before we started recording. As an older actor. (laughs) Yeah, he did age in between. (laughs) He appears in The Fly too as well, but not in a huge part. Stathis doesn't buy it anyway. He claims that Seth is just a magician with a nightclub act. It's like the prestige. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's the exact prestige trick. Really? Seth shows up at Particle thinking he needs to stop Ronnie, but instead they ultimately go out for cheeseburgers. My kind of date, by the way. (laughs) Cheeseburgers. Yeah. I do love the orange and yellow aesthetic of this terrible looking restaurant. Yeah, you can't ever uh, look down on the old fast food date. This is what the 80s looks like to me, because I do have memories of the 80s. This orange and yellow restaurant with those kind of seats and booths and stuff, that's just what it looked like. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's like neon giant cell phones like wall street the go-go's that's right the bangles <laughs> blondie blondie but no it's really just orange and yellow that's what i think <laughs> it's the 80s and shitty restaurants yeah in new york city because that's why this movie in my mind is set in new york city that's just right. because it's in the 80s at this point seth is unable to teleport living things And so he convinces Ronnie to keep the invention secret in exchange for the exclusive rights to his story. 
in other words, she will be able to document his work mm-hmm. and spend all this time with him and everything. And I was just thinking, this is the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, Listen to no, this. Yeah. How about this plan? <laughs> you spend a lot of time with me. Yeah. <laughs> where I can pontificate about what a genius I am. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But she's down because, yes, he did prove to her that he can do this trick. So, And, I mean, look, it, it would be a pretty amazing story to break. Yeah, it the opportunity is there for a book yeah. and more. Shortly thereafter, we learn that Ronnie and Stathis used to date. Yeah, Stathis And that he still has a key uh, to her apartment. Kind of a creep, a little bit. But it's I guess it's just that he's still in that comfortable zone, but she's kind of trying to get him out of it. Yeah, it seems like... He broke up with her or left her, but then he still has that thing where, like, I I can do whatever I want. I have a key to your apartment. I'm just going to be here showering when you get home. Yeah, which she doesn't appreciate. not cool with right. that. The inability to transport live tissue is confirmed when Seth does an experiment with a live baboon, turning it inside out, literally. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, this movie definitely would upset people today for these experiments on animals Although there is a famous deleted scene that we will talk about at the end that would be a million times worse. And they even took it out in 86 because they're like, this is too much. People will hate him <laughs> yeah. if we keep this. So PETA, relax. All right. Right. It could have been worse. <laughs> and it is a movie. <laughs> that is true. They yes. didn't really do this. And Ronnie's cool with all this, apparently. But I guess you would be in the sake of science, even though you saw this baboon turned inside out and still be alive that would be hard to watch i don't know that i would be able to eat for quite a period of time after that yeah that's true but you are seeing it transported from one yeah pod to the next so you know that something's happening that's unprecedented so you have to break a few eggs that's right that's true yeah (laughs) fair enough not surprisingly seth and ronnie soon start up a relationship Uh uh-huh she basically has to bash him over the head to get him to respond. He's so caught up in trying to figure out the issue with his telepods that he's missing her obvious advances. That's right. <laughs> She's basically like, oh, you're so cute. All of a sudden they're kissing. Yeah. And he seems surprised by this. <laughs> Even though, as I pointed out, it seems like that was his intention all along. Like, why would he be bragging about this thing to her? He just gets distracted because he's starting to make progress. That's true. After transporting and then cooking raw steak, Seth figures out that the machine is creating a synthetic version of the object rather than the object itself. What is being reborn in this other end of the telepod, this other telepod, is the computer's interpretation of a steak, but there's something lost in translation. Uh Now, for all the laymen out there, including myself, yeah, we just right sort here. of have to take the science at face value because it seems ridiculous. I was like, synthetic, what is this, like a 3D printer? Well, to me, this is treated like a relatively minor problem that he can fix oh. pretty quickly. <laughs> but Just a couple lines of code. It seems like this would be a major obstacle because yeah. in principle, what he's saying is that at the moment, the machine is not teleporting, really. It's destroying and recreating. Right, like creating like a new copy. Yeah. That's what it seems like he's saying. Yeah. Because if if it's sending over a synthetic steak and not the steak that started, 
then that seems like a pretty huge problem right. to overcome. That yes. It would take a long time. You'd almost have to like start from scratch. You would and think. I don't think any humans would be signing up for that to happen to them. But, you know, it's just considered a speed bump in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean. Obviously, in science fiction, there's going to be a level of reality, but then they build upon that and it gets into the fantastical. Right. I think you just have to accept what they're saying. I mean, no one from this company that funds him or whatever ever like showing up and being like what's going on how's it coming yeah they just sort of address that in like one line of dialogue yeah where he's like I, i'm cheap so they don't care <laughs> this was a decadent time period you know yeah that's they true. just could spend money on different things i'm sure there's still big scientific research firms that do stuff like this now although there's probably more oversight with everyone that is on their payroll true but I, I can kind of buy that for this time period. They establish a little bit of a backstory when Stathis researches him some more. That's right. And then they realize that he's like this brilliant guy with this history. I, I, I get it. He might be given like a lot of leeway. Plus, we don't really know how much time takes place over this whole story. Yeah. It's sort of hard to tell, really. Is it months or weeks? Well, at one point, I think four weeks passes. I think he says that when he first calls her to come back over. So it's like months, probably, yeah. total. Suspicious of what's going on, Stathis begins spying on Ronnie, especially when she's spending all this time over at Seth's. Yeah. I did enjoy that Stathis's license plate just says particle. <laughs> <laughs> and then he follows her to this store where she's buying a gift for Seth, a leather jacket, and he just makes this insane scene I know. in front of everyone. It's weird that Stathis kind of becomes like the hero at some point because he is definitely creep city not taking the breakup very well (laughs) in the first half of the movie yeah it makes the movie interesting because it's a different approach especially a different approach than one they would take now where if they established this guy to be slightly problematic he would get killed without a second thought and he certainly wouldn't ever do anything heroic because i think characters now for a whole litany of reasons, have to be more one-dimensional right? for people to accept it. There's not really room for gray area anymore. But I do think that ultimately in this story, that makes it more realistic because it's not black and white. Right. He is still a creep, but what happens with Seth goes so far that he's afforded some room to still be heroic. Hey, he means well. He's just struggling with the breakup. (laughs) We've all made a scene or two in our lives. Yeah. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) You driving that girl to the mall. Oh, no. (laughs) Seth is further inspired to reprogram the telepod to understand the makeup of living tissue and then is successful in this when he teleports a second baboon. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this MF. (laughs) By the way. Just owns multiple That's baboons. That's what, yes. what I'm getting to. This, <laughs> this dude, this MF really just got another baboon up in here. That's just right. where are these baboons coming from <laughs> in Canada? <laughs> That's right. Apparently on set, the baboons were quite wild and not trained, and not actors, and thus making them extremely dangerous and difficult to control. Oh, boy. However, with Goldblum being so tall and very cut, for this movie that's right yeah this caused the baboons 
to see him as their alpha. And so he basically was able to control them. Wow. In ways that like other people really weren't. Yeah, I don't think they would have seen me as that. Because I think there were some baboons used in the original Omen, and they had to like rescue Lee Remick from them at one point. Oh, wow. Because they can get very aggressive and weird. I believe that. Especially with women. Yes. So, yeah. I think what... Goldblum's like six five or something. I mean, he's very yeah. He looks tall. good. <laughs> <laughs> Super cut, doing all these gnarly gymnastics moves. In the midst of their celebration after this successful teleportation of a baboon, Ronnie leaves, and Seth worries that she is rekindling her relationship with Stathis, but in oh, reality, yeah. she has actually gone to confront Stathis about a thinly veiled threat. This is all sort spurred by his jealousy of Seth. Yeah, in a weird kind of changing of the dynamic of the relationship at lightning speed where she's like, let's go on vacation together, pulling it back. Why don't you take it easy? <laughs> like, all in the same conversation, but boy, an air of familiarity because how many mistakes in my life did I make by <laughs> reacting to something, starting to drink? So basically what happens is they're in the midst of this celebration. There's an envelope from Particle Magazine from the desk of Stathis Borens, and it is a mock-up of a magazine with the threat being to publish the telepod story without Ronnie's consent and without Seth's knowledge at all. So she runs off to try to confront Stathis head-on, but obviously Seth has got trust issues. Oh, yeah. Because he starts jumping to conclusions all over the place. Well, this is what happens. He doesn't even know that they dated yet. That's only confirmed when she comes back. So he's like, oh, this must be her ex-boyfriend. And then it's from there. (laughs) This is the problem with having a a hermit-type lifestyle and then having a a beautiful woman come into your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. It snowballs very rapidly. Yeah. But I sort of understand how that works. (laughs) Especially when alcohol's involved. Sure. Although it does seem that he's like a tad on the old side. I would agree. To still be acting like this. This is something I could see myself doing at like 22. Well, it's a stunted growth for him. Yeah, he's out here wearing the same clothes every day. That's right. So he doesn't have to think. Oof. I didn't mean to kill your brother, but he didn't die in vain, if that's of any comfort. And as the general said, there's nothing I'd ask you to do that I wouldn't do myself, boys. Hey, you're all right. I'm looking at you. I can tell you're okay. What are we waiting for? Let's do it.
you're doing. Now you tell me. Am I different somehow? Is it life or is it Memorex? It's too bad Ronnie missed it. Drunk, Seth decides to teleport himself while alone, unaware that a housefly has entered the transmitter mm-hmm. pod with him. As we know, the best decisions made while drunk and your perception at an all-time high. He emerges from the receiving pod, seemingly normal at the time. Okay, so this is the whole thing. He goes through this telepod from one to the other, unknowingly with a common housefly. So you're talking about straight-up contamination. Because, again, these machines aren't just making you disappear in one place and reappear in another. It seems to be this whole right. genetic breakdown like and re Pulling you apart and reconstructing you, yeah. If a scientist was able to figure all of that out mm-hmm. and create all of that, wouldn't you think that... You they could, would be aware of the potential for this kind of a problem. Yeah, that like they would know that build it, in some sort of alarm if there's multiple life forms. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it seems like that would come up in your mind as a possibility. Like you can't have random things come in with you because he even gets nude. Yeah, so obviously he's concerned about his clothes. Right. Again, he's been hitting the wine a little heavy. <laughs> it's like Doctor Manhattan. You know, he just wishes that he built a lock. On the inside of that door. (laughs) Afterwards, Seth and Ronnie reconcile, but it doesn't take long for things to feel off. That night, Seth catches a fly with his eyes closed. That's right. And then he does a midnight gymnastics routine out of nowhere. That seems like an impressive feat of strength. It's kind of reminding me of uh, Jurassic Park The Lost World, where Jeff Goldblum's daughter is doing all these... (laughs) Wild oh, that's where she got it moves. from. Yep. <laughs> so I asked the computer if it had improved me, and it said it didn't know what I was talking about, and that's made me think very carefully about what I've been feeling and why, and I'm beginning to think that the sheer process of being taken apart atom by atom and put back together again, why it's like coffee being put through a filter. It's somehow a purifying process. It's purified me. It's cleansed me. And I'll tell you, I think it's going to allow me to realize the personal potential... I've been neglecting all these years that I've been uh, obsessively pursuing goal after goal. Do you normally take coffee with your sugar? What? Uh, You know, I I just don't think I've ever given me a chance to be me. But, of course, interestingly, at the exact same moment that I uh, achieved what will probably prove to be my life's work, that's the moment when I started being the real me, finally. So, uh, listen. And not to wax messianic, but uh, it may be true that the synchronicity of those two events might blur the resultant individual effect of either individually. But it is uh, uh, nevertheless also certainly true. I will say now, however uh, subjectively, that uh, human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. It makes a man a king. From the moment I walked out of the pot, I felt like a million bucks. You know, I think I am going to have a cannoli after all. Waiter! I mean, what an accomplishment. But what have I really done, though? All I've done is say to the world, let's go, move, catch me if you can. Waiter, Jesus Christ. So along with sugar cravings, Seth exhibits increased strength, stamina, and sexual potency. That's right. Yeah, I got to say, at first, this seems not that bad. Which he believes resulted from the teleportation, quote, purifying his body. 
he sees it as like we said being deconstructed and then reconstructed and so that process has eliminated any junk sure yeah <laughs> I can't really think of like the right word right but... he's been cleansed yes but he's got these bristly hairs coming out of a scratch on his back yeah it's like a black swan and he's exhibiting a little bit of acne already, just sort of his face erupting a little bit. Sure. And right away, his whole demeanor and attitude changes, and he becomes more aggressive. He's screaming about the power. He wants to be the perfect couple. He wants to send Ronnie through. She doesn't want to do it. He tries to force her to go through the process. Mm. She refuses. And then he just yells at her, you're a fucking drag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Things have changed in the relationship pretty quickly. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. No, not you. You're too chicken shit to be a member of the Dynamic Duo Club. Okay, then great. I'll find somebody else. Somebody who can keep up with me. Seth, you have to listen to me. You're afraid to dive into the plasma pool, aren't you? You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? I bet you think that you woke me up about the flesh, don't you? But you only know society's straight line about the flesh. You can't penetrate beyond society's sick, gray fear of the flesh. Drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. See what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about sex and penetration. I'm talking about penetration beyond the veil of the flesh. A deep, penetrating dive into the plasma pool. Yeah, she's just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. where is this coming from? He's going on these bizarre rants and tirades. Right. He's not acting like himself. It all escalates quickly. Seth is angry and arrogant, sometimes bordering on violent. Yep. He then abandons Ronnie in search so of another subject. Culminates in a uh, breakup, I guess. He's kind of like, just get out of my way. He's looking for another woman to send through this beneficial teleportation process because he's now on a, a quest for the super couple, someone who can keep up with him because he barely needs to sleep. He feels re-energized and awake for the first time. So Seth ends up at a really cool-looking bar. Yes, I know the type. Fun people hanging out here. Yeah. Interesting things going on. It's kind of like a pickup artist move going on here just establishing his dominance if i beat you in an arm wrestling contest i get to take your girlfriend basically well it seems like tawny great name by the way yeah seems like tawny was already the prize right for what was already going on between the other two guys i see and then he just shows up and he's like i'll put a hundred bucks up but if i win the girl comes home with me so this is stuff, again, that seems to only happen in the 80s. A, arm wrestling competitions at a bar. That's right. B, people named Tawny. Yes. <laughs> a lot happening right here in Toronto. Tawny just down for whoever the winner of said arm wrestling yeah. competition to, to be the escort for, I guess. I think there is a potential movie in Tawny's experience. I think so. To be yeah. this person. <laughs> Seth arm wrestles. A man winning so convincingly that his opponent is left with a compound fracture. Yeah. This was the other thing that when I saw this at a younger age, it was like really fucked up. Watching it now, it hardly had an impact on me. But when I was a kid and I saw this movie, I I was like, good Lord. Didn't the same thing happen in Over the Top? Yeah. The Stallone movie? I think so. (laughs) 
No, I, I don't recall that, but it's quite possible. Stallone is so manly. He was in a movie about boxing. Well, a lot of them. He did the wrestling movie. I think it's called like Paradise Alley. Yeah. Something like that. And then he also does an arm wrestling movie. He's just beating ass all the time. He's <laughs> a multi-sport athlete. Seth then brings Tani back to his warehouse where they have sex. He tries to convince her into teleporting. Yeah. But luckily for Tani, Ronnie shows up and intervenes. The, with the line, right? Yeah. Before we talk about that, it is odd to me that Tani never mentions Seth's appearance, which has gotten worse. His skin looks really bad. Yeah. Well, Tawny's probably on a four-day bender here. Yeah, she at know. one point is like, can we go to a few more bars? Right. It's still too early. <laughs> I'm not I ready. Like, oh. I was getting flashbacks myself. Oh, yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> we already know where this is headed. What do we have to go to more bars for? Because <laughs> she's not ready. <laughs> it's going to take a few more tequilas to get her in the mood. So, yes, Ronnie utters the... Immortal line, be afraid, be very afraid. According to Cronenberg, the line was invented by Mel Brooks while discussing how characters should react to the early stages of Seth Brundle's transformation. So I guess there was some debate, and that sort of plays into what I was just talking about with Tani, where it's clear that he's already a little fucked up. Right. He hasn't gotten anywhere close to where it's going to go. Sure, but, he looks like a human still. But yeah, it's unappealing. Yes. So... I guess there was some talk of like how much should the characters be addressing it at this point, and that's when Mel Brooks brought up that line, like, well, why not just have them be afraid? And so that ends up working its way into the script, and then it ends up being used as the film's marketing tagline and became so ingrained in popular culture that many people are unaware of its origin. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, yeah, right. <laughs> because it's been recycled and reused many times yes, in other films. Yes, it's off-sited. Yes, Obviously, I've seen The Fly a decent amount of times over the last few years, but I don't know if I would have necessarily known that this is where yeah. that it, it came from it's, first. I would. I thought it was some from like something from the fifties. You know what I mean? It seemed like an old line. Yeah, it does sort of have that feel to it. Thanks for a wonderful time. Why'd you scare her off? Jealous? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. You look bad. You smell bad. I've never been much of a bather. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I took them to a lab. I had them analyzed. The hairs? The hairs? Oh. Yeah, that's a strange thing to do. Not as strange as the results. The guy at the lab had trouble identifying them. He finally came to the conclusion that they were definitely not human. Oh. <laughs> very good. Not human, Seth. In fact, very likely insect hairs. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Look. Now there's more. Look at your face. Something happened when you went through, Seth. You've got to get some help. I think you must be sick. You You're jealous! I've become free. I've been released, and you can't stand it. You'll do anything to bring me down. 
Look at me. Does this look sick? Does this look like a sick man to you? No! Stop it! You know any sick men who can do that? Come here. Help! Sir. Heels off! I don't need you anymore. Oh, wait! Sir, please! Wait! Sir! Don't come back! Seth kicks Ronnie's ass to the curb, <laughs> convinced she's just jealous. Uh, of his face acne? Well, I think his sanity is deteriorating a little bit because he's caught up in this mania so. of how he's yes. feeling. But soon after Ronnie leaves, Seth's fingernails start falling off, which oh, is no. horrifying. Yes. And it's time for the real star of the show, the makeup and the body horror, because all of this is nightmare shit, as this Matt alluded to. Kind of slow transformation that happens over the rest of the movie now. Yeah. It's all horrifying. Yeah. I don't know that I would have even had the bravery to last as long as Seth does. I think I probably would have committed suicide pretty quick. I think so. Yeah. The doctors show up. They're like, oh, we could have fixed this like right away. <laughs> Already dead. <laughs> <laughs> My fingernail fell off. <laughs> Seth checks his computer's records and discovers that the telepod computer confused by the presence of two life forms in the sending pod, fused him with the fly at the molecular genetic level. Oh, no. This is sort of what happens in the original, I guess. Although, as I said, the transformation is all or nothing. It's like very quickly, it's a man with the head of a fly, and then you never really see the other half, which is like the fly, because it's so small. Okay. It's like two different things. But, you know, it's sort of the same thing. But I I do think that in this version, they chose the more horrifying way of presenting it and And, what to emphasize. Oh, just the slow transition in various parts of his body falling out. Finally, after some time, Seth calls Ronnie and tells her that she was right, asking her to come and see him. She does, and it's one of those moments where I guess you try to be compassionate and empathetic but you just open the door and you're just like oh shit the horror <laughs> like what yes. the fuck <laughs> his appearance is fucked yeah he's turning color <laughs> his skin is like bulgy and yes lumpy again i mean this is like if i went to a high school reunion <laughs> it's like what people's reaction would be when they saw me seth tells ronnie that he is becoming a hybrid of human and insect which he has nicknamed Brundlefly. Not a great name. I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> he has also begun vomiting digestive enzymes onto yeah. his food to dissolve it. Oof. Disgusting. Which I would say would make dating difficult. I think so. Yes. <laughs> Not a lot of five-star restaurants are into this type of dining. When they're talking, his ear falls off, which Oof. is something that Gina Davis was unaware was going to happen. So they capture sort of a genuine reaction. Yikes. Just so grotesque. <laughs> but then later in the scene, as it like wraps up, she hugs him. Yeah. And her head is like right I next know. to that hole. I was like, I don't think I'd be moving him for that hug. They do portray her as being able to carry this compassion for him still, but it's like... How long did she even know him? I know. I think she's okay. You're in the clear to just back away from this. Sometimes you got to just be Jerry Seinfeld. Like, That's right. Have a nice life. <laughs> just walk right out. He had... The body of a fly. (laughs) (laughs) He had fly face. Yes. (laughs) Stathis, somewhat understandably, is like, don't go back. He could be contagious. But then ultimately, 
when she refuses to listen, he wants Ronnie to tape Seth. When she does go back, Seth is able to cling to walls and ceilings like an insect. This looks pretty cool. Seth, Yeah, it does look good. Almost everything looks good in this movie. They didn't waste any time or money on a lot of locations. Much of it takes place in the laboratory. They keep the cast pretty small and scaled back. So there really does seem to be an emphasis on the presentation of just the fly and what the fly can do and whatever fucked up shit they thought they could get away with, which did include cutting a couple of things, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, I think that if they they wasted money on like more elaborate scenes in different locations with more characters and more extras and stuff, I think you lose something from it. I'd say so. In a weird way, it almost has the feel of like a play or something because there's so few characters yeah. in such like very limited space. That's true. It's very cold, like a play too. <laughs> <laughs> Seth realizes that his humanity is slipping away, giving way to uncontrollable primitive impulses. Shortly after that, though, Ronnie learns that she is pregnant by Seth. Yeah. Well, she shows Stathis the like video of. Yes. Him doing this, I have to vomit. Right. Like, <laughs> and that's when she's like, I'm pregnant. That's basically like right after he watches that yeah. video. Which, I mean, it did cross my mind. I'm like, really, Ronnie? Like, not a little bit more proactive about birth control or anything with uh, this guy that you've uh, hung out with for a few weeks, this science nerd? Well, yeah, having unprotected sex, I mean, that ties in with the AIDS fear yeah. and AIDS going on maybe in the minds of the people perceiving this movie and what they think it's about, I guess. It does seem crazy and hard to believe, but... You know. It was a different time. <laughs> and that's when she has the nightmare of giving birth to a giant maggot. Oh. <laughs> so you think this is the most famous scene from the movie? I thought so. I've seen it pop up on some of those scariest moments countdown it is great but it has that familiarity of other scenes of like giving birth to bad things yeah aren't there other movies like this with that i'm sure but this is the one for me yeah it is pretty fucked up although it does feel like a dream especially it does because because you don't understand like what is there like a jump in time yeah it just rushes to like because they're not panicking at first like right She's being wheeled into a room. Everything seems fine. It's I thought like... she was going to have an abortion. Yeah. But it is grotesque, especially the way that it Oof. moves and stuff. Oh, it like wiggles. Yeah, it does like the tail. Like that is one of the best looking things in the movie, I think. Like that. Oh, <laughs> one shudders at the thought. I think Cronenberg actually plays one of the doctors or gynecologists in this scene. Okay. I'm pretty sure. He was inspired when Scorsese met him and told him that he looked like a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and he does sort of have that look to him. That's a compliment, I guess. <laughs> Meanwhile, the deformed monster that used to be Seth is now scrambling for a cure. He installs a fusion program into the telepod computer, planning to dilute the fly genes in his body with human DNA. It seems like there would have been a better plan than that, but who am <laughs> but I there to say? isn't. No. <laughs> I guess he thinks that there well what what else what would it be? Though? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. It seems like the the fly thing. Is there is an undo there. button? Can you like get can you hit press undo and then go back through? <laughs> but at this point he's losing his fingernails, his ear, Ugh. 
His skin has turned horrifying. His teeth fall out now. At one point, he opens the medicine cabinet, and there's a bunch of shit that seems to have fallen off his body. It seems pretty clear that one of them is a penis, I think. Okay. I didn't hone in on that, but I'm buying it. But it doesn't seem like he wears clothes at a certain point. That's true, yeah. It just seems like everything's... Right. Oof. Yeah. I think it's a little late to come back. Yeah. (laughs) He's just this red grotesque being now but it gets so much worse i know (laughs) i came to tell you um (laughs) i i just i wanted to see you before You have to leave now. And never come back here. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but I'm afraid. um... I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you if you stay. The line, quote, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now that dream is over and the insect is awake, unquote, is a reference to author Zhang Zi's famous butterfly dream story. It's also a reference to Kafka's famous short story, The Metamorphosis, which I would imagine is true. I don't really have any familiarity with those things, but I do think that it is one of the more memorable monologues in the movie because he's talking yeah. about have you ever heard of insect politics and right. she's like what the fuck are you oh, talking I know. well about? he's just like completely deranged at and this then point. he says that whole thing where he's like i'm saying i'm an insect who dreamt he was a man that's like fucking great yeah <laughs> because not to criticize cronenberg's work on the script or the other guy that wrote it but i don't always think the dialogue in this is that strong sure there's some cheese ball i don't think that's to the me. strength but when Seth is sort of given that opportunity to pontificate and ramble. And some of that, I think, is Goldblum's influence on the script, too. Especially that coffee shop scene where he's, like, shot out of a cannon. Yeah. I think that that's the time where you really get a vibe of this character. 
and sort of his drive and, well, and what yeah. led to all this stuff happening and now his That's attempts to cope with it. Definitely a big part of this is the mental strain the transformation has on him. Yeah. I mean, of course it would drive him insane. Obviously distraught over what Seth has become, Ronnie flees once again without telling Seth she is pregnant. Yeah. She meets up with Stannis. Stannis Stasis. Baratheon. Yeah, Stannis Baratheon. I, I think I wrote Stannis a the couple one times. I was king. having trouble because I've I never heard the name Stathis before. Same. She meets up with Stathis like right outside the warehouse, and she starts flipping out. I don't want it in my body. I don't want it in my body. I want an abortion right now, Yeah. even though it's the middle of the night. And this is kind of that same idea as to like when he's realizing like what's happened and you have this panic moment, now she's experiencing that same thing. Yeah. It's kind of like the Rosemary's Baby scene where... Yeah, the, the doctor's just ends up calling <laughs> Jeff Goldblum and it's like, come get her. <laughs> Ronnie has Stathis persuade a doctor to perform an abortion in the middle of the night. But having overheard the conversation between Ronnie and Stathis outside of his building, Seth shows up at the doctor's office and crashes the party. Yeah. Literally. Right. He explodes through a giant glass window and abducts Ronnie before the abortion can take place. The doctor is just like, what the absolute fuck just happened? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the hunchback of Notre Dame or something just like crashed through the window and took her out away. That's he's right. Like, Was that a man? I know. I mean, you would just be like, okay, who do we call? Seth begs Ronnie to carry the baby to term since it may be the last remnant of his humanity. He then takes her back to the warehouse. Stathis follows, bringing with him a shotgun. Yeah. He has to construct it at the apartment, which I found to be an interesting move. <laughs> yeah. Looking around, not seeing him, and then there's a sneak attack from the ceiling. Seth disarms Stathis and then uses his corrosive vomit to obliterate Stathis's hand and foot. Yeah, really a rough, a rough go of it for Stathis. Yeah, the shot of the hand just melting is like so disgusting yeah you're not coming back from that only stopping from vomiting the acid onto stathis's face when ronnie intervenes begging him to stop and then things take a wild turn because seth is like all right well how about this (laughs) (laughs) i got an idea i have a great idea (laughs) seth pitches his last ditch effort for salvation to ronnie he will use the telepods to fuse the both of them together along with their unborn this child is... into a single entity to become the ultimate family. <laughs> the rarely attempted tripod situation. <laughs> yeah, great plan. Yeah. I don't know even what <laughs> what is the upside of I this? Know. Like what could possibly happen? Yeah. Oof. Ronnie not really up for this idea, but No. Uh... He decides he's going to push forward anyway. Ronnie's not thrilled, tearing off Seth's jaw <laughs> as she struggles when he attempts to drag her into one of the telepods. That's true. This is kind of like the final stages of his transformation. Yeah, this sets off the final, most disgusting part of it as yeah. he becomes a monstrous, insectoid human creature mm-hmm. with his decaying human flesh falling off Oof. of his frame completely in revolting chunks yes just gross right (laughs) and yeah now he has more of a smaller insectoid style head 
Yeah, I it's mean, I guess been under there though for a while. Yeah, his like eyeballs, like his human eyeballs, kind of have fallen out now. Oh, <laughs> it's a rough show. He pushes Ronnie inside the first telepod and starts the countdown before sealing himself in the other. Stathis regains consciousness, grabs his gun, and manages to sever the cables connecting Ronnie's telepod to the computer, allowing Ronnie to escape. This seems like it would break the whole process, but it doesn't. No, because Seth ends up fused with metal and cables from his telepod as he wasn't able to get all the way out. And then a somehow even more deformed creature emerges. <laughs> yeah. In the end, he wordlessly begs Ronnie to put him out of his misery by grabbing the gun and pointing it at himself, sort of, while she's yeah. holding it. So I guess he's finally realized, like, look, <laughs> it ain't getting better. Nope. <laughs> Tearfully, Ronnie uses the shotgun to put this monster down. Then she should put Stathis down then herself. Yeah, the it's end hard for to everyone. Back. Yeah, <laughs> I do think that it it would be funny to insert a line here with Stathis just saying like, "Well, that was weird." Yeah, after, it, as she's still like sobbing. <laughs> it should have been like that car scene from The Mist. That would have been the logical ending here. Yeah, I love the downbeat ending to this movie. I think it's possible that they wouldn't go for that now. There was a another alternate ending. I think that will talk about in a second but this just is leaves you with that great gut punch ending oh, yeah. the credits just pop up out of nowhere you're like oh shit <laughs> there is no coming back from this nope the first name mentioned in the end credits is chris wallace incorporated as the creator and designer of the fly and after a screening the audience cheered upon seeing this first credit wow one of the producers told wallace you're going to get the oscar which he ultimately did. So, okay, we've talked about it a little bit. I brought it up a few times. I don't know how familiar you are with these things. Not at all. But the two deleted scenes that are pretty famous are worth discussing a little bit. I wish you would have seen them, but that's fine. Okay. You should have assigned that to me. Well, I didn't realize that they were on yeah. YouTube until okay. recently. Yeah, because I, I, I had to rent this off Prime. So. Oh, God forbid. Well, I, they don't usually offer the deleted <laughs> no, scenes, is all I'm saying. Okay, so, yeah, these were unavailable for a long time until they released, like, a DVD, you know, in the 2000s or so. So for basically, like, 20 years, no one had seen these after the screenings where they got cut. Right. So the first one is when Seth is already pretty fucked. He's mostly a fly. Well, you know, he's that red... and he's getting desperate for a cure and he makes the connection about trying to do different hybrid things to dilute the fly dna and stuff like that because you may have been wondering well what happened to that second baboon well this is what happened to it okay he tries to do an experiment involving a cat and a baboon okay in the two telepods and he fuses them together And you get this weird, horrible cat-baboon hybrid that he ends up having to like kill with like a pipe or something by bashing it. Yikes. It's so disgusting. And they were like, look, the audience doesn't like this. This it's a bit much. This takes all the sympathy away because he's just like torturing these animals and he, just, he kills it in the most horrible way. But that's not it, though, because he oh, also yeah. ends up going outside onto the roof and 
I don't know why they had to cut all of this out. This is very gross, but it, it's sort of cool looking. He goes out and all of a sudden there's like almost like from Alien or something, there's something bursting out of the side of him. And it's an actual like fly leg that comes out of the side of him. Oof. And he rips it off himself and then bites it off. And he's like tearing it off with his teeth. Ugh. This is all part of this cat baboon thing. It's like a seven minute sequence. Wow. It's horrifying. Yeah. The, that part. It's just so gross. All right. Well, I'm happy it didn't make the final cut. The other famous deleted scene is the, I guess, I, I guess this took place at the very end, but someplace towards the ending, there's a second Ronnie dream about the baby. And in this sequence, it's a butterfly baby, meaning it looks like a human baby, but it has butterfly wings. And this is supposed to be like a happy dream. Yeah. Okay. But I don't really feel that way. I no. still think that would be horrifying. <laughs> yes. I don't think it's going to be a very great childhood. I uh, believe this must have been cut way earlier in the process because the version I saw of it doesn't look done to me. Okay. So I don't think that they were ever really that close to using this particular scene. This was the reason why she decided to keep the baby this dream. Well, butterfly wings wouldn't be bad. Yeah, well, that factors into the sequel, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, the first thing that I described, the cat-baboon hybrid, that looks like the rest of the movie like that could have easily been inserted yeah there's no difference So they were like definitely planning on that being a part of it yeah they cut that due to negative reception at one of the early test screenings yeah and they cut the other thing also for basically the same reason so that brings us to the fly 2 which was released in 1989 it was directed by chris wallace who did the special effects for the first one kind of like a Halloween 3 type thing there where someone from the crew takes over? A little bit. There was a script written by a couple of different people, amongst them Frank Darabont, oh, who would go on to have a big career doing Stephen King adaptations like The Shawshank Redemption. Like Green Mile. The Green Mile and The Mist, which you just mentioned. That's right, yeah. And he also was one of the creators of The Walking Dead, although he was really only involved at the very beginning and then you know a lot of lawsuits ensued. <laughs> but... He and his writing partner, Chuck Russell, were involved with like a lot of cool 80s stuff, like the Blob remake and one of the best Nightmare on Elm Streets, other than the original three, Dream Warriors, which mm-hmm. I love. So I decided to check out The Fly, too, because I heard, oh, it's underrated. It got a bad reputation. People generally hated it when it came out, but uh-huh. it's not that bad. Of course, we always love anything with Eric Stoltz. Stoltz, yep. Darabont. Okay, it has Daphne Zuniga, sort of an 80s chick, also known for Melrose Place. Here we go. John Getz reappears as Stathis. There's a different Ronnie at the very beginning. She gives birth to this baby. The baby has something where it grows up super fast and becomes Eric Stoltz within a short amount of time. The plot synopsis, according to IMDb, the almost human son of, quote, Brundlefly... <laughs> Searches for a cure to his mutated genes while being monitored by a nefarious corporation that wishes to continue his father's experiments. It was uh, very reminiscent of Species, I was telling you, yeah. where he grows up super fast and he's in this supervised laboratory building thing that he never really leaves. Brundlefly just really needed like a marketing advisor, just really poor branding, I would say. Well, you're talking about it. You're saying it. That's true. Yeah, it's catching on. <laughs> Yeah, this movie sucks. I wanted to like it. I'm talking about The Fly, too. Yeah, yeah. I thought it could be cool. 
there are definitely some cool effects in it and some gross shit. There's some memorable stuff reminiscent of the cat baboon thing that seems sort of problematic in the sense of like PETA or something. But not that these are real animals, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like Cannibal Holocaust. But ultimately, I found it kind of boring. And by the end of it, I really didn't care what happened or wasn't super laser focused on what was going on anymore. Okay. Just sort of goes by. I, I think I gave it two stars on Letterboxd. All right. So it was sort of a letdown, but, you know, Not going to show up in uh, recommendations, then. No. What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Okay, speaking of, I guess we can jump to recommendations, unless you have anything else to say about The Fly. Oh, I'm good on The Fly. It's you know, one of the coolest science fiction movies of the 80s, for sure. As you said, there is a coldness to it. Yeah, yeah. It, so I can't really embrace it the same way that I would embrace The Thing, like the John Carpenter movie, which is a movie that I would want to rewatch like right. once a year. Well, The Thing has like this awesome hero character that you want to root for. I, I don't think that there's really a character who stands out like that in The Fly. Yeah, The Fly's a little bit of a downer and a bummer. I don't know that you necessarily want to rewatch it every year. Yeah. But I would recommend seeing it if you haven't. I would also, this is separate from recommendations, but I love a lot of Cronenberg's other movies. I really like The Brood, which is such a weird, yeah. fucked up movie. I need to watch that still. I, I've still never seen, oh, what's the other one that's a Criterion, the television one? Videodrome. Videodrome, yeah. Yeah, Videodrome's cool. I could see us doing that on the show at some point. There's a lot of cool ones. Obviously, he got away from the body horror stuff when he did those movies with Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. I think he did, what, like three or four of them? History of Violence, Eastern Promises. Dangerous um, Method. Oh, yeah. I think he might be doing another one. Okay. Him. Yeah. His movie's always fucked up in some way, though. Maps to the Stars was a more recent one, That's right. which was very disturbing, and yes. I, I really liked. I never saw the one with Pattinson, like Cosmopolis or something. I haven't seen that either. But yeah, obviously Crash. Crash is cool. <laughs> his one from the 90s. Not the Crash that won Best Picture. No, no. a different Crash. It's really this Crash fucking wild. far from Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, it was NC-17. Yeah. I think that movie's pretty cool. It is. So we... We took the plunge with The Fly, which is obviously, I think, his most famous one. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. So let's get to recommendations. Check out The Fly and Cronenberg's work if you haven't yet. You want to go first? Sure, yeah. Mine is going to be a physical media purchase recommendation. Whoa. That's right. We've done it on the show. Now available on 4K. I watched it before I came over today. Basic Instinct. Just incredible experience in 4k well (laughs) i would agree and i own it too but that's not an easy not an easy buy it's not an american release so you're talking about people having to order it special all right well listen it's worth taking the plunge if you can get it yeah it does look awesome oh i was surprised there have been 4ks that i've watched that i'm like okay this looks good but it doesn't i'm not really seeing like a significant upgrade i I thought this looked amazing Yeah, it looks really cool. I love Basic Instinct. I'm just like, Catherine Trammell is the girl for me. Who doesn't (laughs) want to be in a relationship where it's like, maybe the person wants to kill you? It's the greatest. Even It's a movie that we did on this show, and we tried to explain it, 
but it's a movie that like really doesn't make a ton of sense no. at a certain point, and yet it doesn't matter at I all. Know. It's just everything about it is so great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and as I was telling you before we started recording, I'm really looking forward to the the new Verhoeven. I hope that it's easy to see in America like sometime soon. Yeah, here's doesn't hoping. Doesn't seem like the type of movie that's going to get like a huge release, but hey, we're going back to the theaters again. Kind of. Maybe. Yeah. Not yet, but we'll see. Yeah, I've been back, but it's a slow process of returning to normal. Yeah. All right, so yeah, if you can figure out where to get it, yeah. pick up that 4K of Basic Instinct. Although, now that a 4K scan exists, you can probably buy it or rent it on like Voodoo. Sure, that's true. Because once it's out there, or Apple or something, like the 4K Ultra HD is probably just available somewhere for you to get. My recommendation is... A show coming back for season two. Ooh. The funniest show on TV by a million percent. I think you should leave okay. with Tim Robinson. Yeah. Season two premiered this week. It's been all over Twitter. People are obsessed with this thing. It's become like the comedic gold standard. I watched it twice already all the wow. way through. I mean, the episodes, How many episodes? are fi- they're for- like six and they're 15 minutes okay, long. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that... In terms of consistency, I didn't think it was as good as season one because there was about a whole episode that I didn't really think was funny, which when you only have six, having a whole episode not be funny is sort of rough. It's a significant percentage. But the first three episodes, for sure, I thought were insanely brilliant. I don't even know how to explain this show to anyone. Yeah. It's so bizarre and His comedy style is definitely unique, I would say. When a sketch starts, you have no idea where it's going to go. Right. It doesn't make any sense. It's unpredictable. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) Most of the characters are unlikable. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know how to explain some of these sketches. There's one with the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I thought was pretty funny. There's one with Bob Odenkirk that it's unbelievable how good it is to me. Like I, I don't know. It's definitely become like the cool kid thing now, especially with season two and everyone's talking about it. it it's definitely like the king of screenshots and memes on Twitter. And yeah, stuff. I saw some pop up recently. I didn't realize that this was out now, this yeah. season two, so that makes sense. Yeah, there's a few sketches this season, though, that are just unbelievable how great they are. I would have it slightly below season one, but still very, very good. Yeah. It's not for everyone. I think you have to have like sort of a certain sense of humor. Well, there's to definitely even some vulgarity to it, at least in season one. Yeah, there's some, although it's not like it's weird vulgarity. That's though. true. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's more like absurdist humor at times. Yeah, like I said, the sketches are so unpredictable and weird that you can't even really describe it. <laughs> yeah. I see a heavy influence from Curb. Oh yeah, because it's so uncomfortable, but right. like. It's based on people behaving in ways where you're just like, this feels almost real, but not really. Like, I can't imagine someone doing this, but yet I can. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I enjoy it. You can catch that on Netflix. I think you should leave season two. It seems weird that it took this long to get a season two, and yet it's still only six episodes that are fi- like 15 minutes each. I know. I mean, the first thing I ever heard from it was when you tacked on like the brunch thing, like the brunch with yeah. these two dumb dumbs like, at the end of one of the episodes. That, I don't know. That seems like it was a while ago at this point. 
Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Was when the first season came out. And I do think I recommended season one at some point on here. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah, he used to do, he used to be on SNL, although not for very long. And then he did a show on Comedy Central, I think, called The Detroiters with Sam Richardson from Veep. Oh, yeah. All right, so check that out on Netflix. We thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review. Let us know if you'd like a sticker. Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. And if you are so inclined, you can let us know if you have a listener request for a movie you'd like us to cover. I think we pretty much keep our listener requests focused solely on movies, not TV stuff. That's too broad. We pick our own TV stuff. Yeah. We try to work with you. I think the best thing to do if you have a movie request is to throw us like three to five minimum. We like the list. Yeah. It's mostly because we don't know that we can do a great job with anything. Sure. (laughs) I think that's fair. We don't want to leave it too wide open anymore. There's been some Some misses. Yeah. (laughs) There's been some incidents. All right, so thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
That's my turn. My, my turn. My turn. Okay, let's see. Oh, well, he was a frequent guest on the Colgate Comedy Hour, the radio program. Uh, I don't know what the Colgate Hour is. Okay, pass. Okay, well, I don't know if this is going to help you out at all, but he was also a frequent guest on the Colgate Comedy Hour. He did panels with Paul Julian, the guy who did the voice of the Roadrunner. Beep, beep. Don't you remember? We listened to his whole album that one night I told you you'd never be a good writer because you don't have a curious mind. Time. Ah, damn it. Who was it? Paul Bufano. Paul Bufano. How hard is that? Paul Bufano, come on.